Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Talking Force. Today we have a very special guest. Trey Hall will be joining us all the way from freezing cold Orono, Maine. He is a former intern, superstar employee, uh, and now uh, officially a director of football up at Maine. So we're super excited to have him on. And as always, when we think about these journeys, I think it's so important to hear the story from a firsthand perspective and maybe look at things a little bit differently um, if you're going through stuff or if you're on this journey or if you're a director to really kind of hear both perspectives. And it's it's really special when we can have someone who has seen it from both sides and, you know, experienced different methods, different philosophies, but now into that stage of career. So without further ado, Trey, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on here with you. Uh, I am in freezing cold Orono, so I'm trying to stay as warm as I can up here. But thanks again for having me on, Coach. Yeah, no, thank you. Hey, listen, for those who don't know your story, um, and again, everybody's story is is unique, can you just tell everybody a little bit, um, kind of from the moment when you caught the iron bug, everybody usually has one of those days where you're like, wow, I just love that weight room, or I just, I, I love coaching. Could you kind of take us from that point to where you are now, just to kind of catch people up to speed? Yeah, so I, I really fell in love with the weight room in high school. Uh, I was a two-sport athlete. I played football and lacrosse, and just love the aspect of, you know, working out with your teammates. It's a chance to get better, chance to develop your skills more. And that was kind of the first moment that I fell in love with it. And then I went to college at Edinburgh University, and we didn't have much of a strength conditioning program. So I kind of saw both perspectives of like, I had a pretty good uh, strength conditioning experience in high school. And then I went to college where we didn't have a strength coach. It was a position coach that just, you know, gave us a piece of paper. and We all ran the same lifts. And I fell in love with it in high school. And then seeing the other side in college, I was like, you know, I, I think I want to do this for a living, but I want to do it at the college level where I can actually give these athletes a good experience and kind of like how I did in high school and help develop them to reach their full potential. So that's just kind of how I fell in love with the strength conditioning aspect. Now, from an education standpoint, you, you said you went, you went to your college and then you went on to get a master's, correct? Yeah, so I uh, did my undergrad in human performance at Edinburgh University, and then I did my master's at Gannon University, which is about 20 miles north of there in Erie, Pennsylvania, in sport and exercise science. Now, how did you, from, from, a, from a clinician perspective, how did you find the difference between the undergraduate and then the graduate experience um, as, it, as it relates to kind of the everyday job? Help a little bit, a lot of it, or what did it really do for you? Um. It helps a little bit. It just definitely gives you that basis of, you know, understanding physiology and understanding how the body works. But both undergrad and your master's program, I would say, doesn't really prepare you for strength and conditioning. Because, like I said, it's more the physiology and how the body works. And that's very good to understand because you need that basis and you need the science. But there's no classes on programming. You don't learn these, you don't learn how to run a room. You don't learn how to do a rack assignment, all these other aspects that you don't learn until you actually do an experience. So it does help having that background in the science, but I wish there was more that would prepare you for the actual weight room and being in there coaching, you know, 40 athletes in a lift, watching technique and all those different aspects. It's certainly interesting because strength and conditioning straddles two worlds. As you mentioned, you have to know the biology. You have to know the physiology. 
But at the same time, there's a almost apprenticeship. If you think about it, any kind of trade, you think in the medical world, yeah, they do undergrad and they go to med school, but then they do a residency or they do a fellowship or, you know, they're basically being mentored by people in the field that do it. Uh, they are getting paid uh, while they're, you know, getting educated. Um, and in our field, it's kind of weird now is that we're in this kind of in-between time where, yeah, you're going to have to spend four or five, six years getting a degree. Let's call it collectively, I don't know, $200,000 worth of time loans or, you know, if maybe you had a scholarship, it's different. But, you know, a substantial amount of time. But to come out the other end and not be able to do the job, I mean, I can't imagine someone going to, you know, uh, trade school to be a plumber and can't fix a toilet you know, or a surgeon going through their med program and, you know, they can't do stitches. They may know all about stitches. They may know about, you know, the skin. They may know about the importance of doing stitches. But the actual doing the job, I think, is really interesting. Uh, it is an interesting problem in the sense is that everybody can kind of agree on what needs to be done. But actually applying it day in and day out is far more challenging than what people thought. And and you were in a unique perspective as you were one of the, the last groups that I had come through. Um, so I've had the, you know, the fortune to be able to see you go from day one, oh my God, running around with your head, like, you know, with a chicken with a head cut off, um, to really watching you grow. And then for you to then see you come back into um, the position as an assistant under Coach TJ, which ironically, he was said chicken that went through that position and then into the director role. So it's kind of special. So can you kind of talk about, you know, from your time at Yale and, and kind of walk us through kind of that maturation process and what you learned at each step? Yeah, so like, like Coach Newman said, I first interned at Yale um, in the fall of 2020, I believe. And when I first got there, like, you know, I'm fresh out of grad school. I think I know everything. I have all this, uh, all this education behind me. And then we get thrown into orientation week and it's like, set up a rack. All right. But with loud music going on, we have different racks need to be set up differently. So all these different, you know, situations thrown at you. And like you said, you're running around with your head cut off like a, like a chicken and you're just all over the place. So that was, it was like baptism by fire going in there, learning that experience. And, you know, I'm so thankful for the experience because I remember walking uh, back to our the parking lot after an orientation day. And I was like, you know, I used to think I knew a lot about strength conditioning, but I know nothing. And we'd even get into talking about programming and all those things. This is just, you know, basic setup, how to how to run a room, how to run a warm up and all those different things. So. After uh, after I interned there, I uh, left and took a paid internship position at Delaware State and then quickly came back to Yale. I had the opportunity to come back from uh, Coach TJ, called me up to so the position was available. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, with no hesitation, because I loved everything that um, you guys built there, how how you ran everything, just everything about it. I just kind of fell in love with with Yale and how the strength conditioning program was ran there. So and I came back in like the March of 2021 as, you know, the the football assistant. So it was another baptism by fire because it was a whole different role. I went from intern now to um, the number two guy of football. So I was getting all these different things thrown at me, just learning on the go, learning on the go, having to be able to adjust to things. My schedule is crazy. You know, we had spring ball practice in the morning, then we have lifts at night. And this was still when we had to limit the number of guys in the weight room at, at the time. So I was all over the place, you know, for the first month or two until I kind of finally settled in the role. And, you know, Coach TJ helped me tremendously by 
breaking things down, slowing the process down, just explaining everything that we did and why, just so I could really understand it. Because if I didn't understand it, I would have not grown in that position. But to understand, you know, the background and the reasoning of why we do things a certain way kind of really helped me grow into that position. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about there's just so much that has to get done. And I, you know, I think back to conversations with administrators and, and maybe people who haven't coached or haven't coached at a high level or successfully at a high level. And they might look at the, you know, setting up the racks or cleaning the turf as, you know, oh, well, that's just that's just being mean or that's just meaningless work or, you know, why is it busy work? And they don't understand the value. And, and I think early on, especially in orientation week, as you mentioned, or early on in the, the internship, the whole point of that wasn't about cleaning. It was about taking pride in your room. You know, it wasn't about the fact that the plates had to be aligned a certain way because we just want to be a bunch of jerks. It's because I want to see at the end of the day did your standards drop? And what people don't understand, the little kind of secret is, is that any program's all about standards and the people that have to maintain it. And it's very, very easy on a Tuesday at eight o'clock, like you said, you've been up all day, mm, the plate's at 45 degrees, or you know what, it's upside down, or it's not that big of a deal. And it was really interesting for me because I went through it as an intern, um, but then in the director world to really see there's kind of the haves and have nots. You either look at those little details as a pain in the ass and a waste of my time. I'm better than that. Um, or you go, you know, Roger that. Like, that's my job. That's my role. I'm going to embrace it. And then as you go through the internship, I think it becomes actually more and more clear why that matters. I can't tell you the number of interns that would take pride when a parent or a student would walk in and go, wow, this weight room looks like a showroom. Wow, this weight room smells clean. And we used to say, you know, if you can take care of your weight room, we're going to take care of your kid. I mean, that's the level of detail we had. And I think that exudes everybody on staff. Um, and regardless of the time or regardless of the situation, we can make our room look nice and squared away. As you get older or as you shift into roles, like you said, there's even more things. So the interns think that they see everything and it's unbelievable, but the interns probably see about five or 10% because it's really, you know, the detail that happens after the lift, at night, in the morning, on the weekends, when you're analyzing the data, and then it starts to kind of click. What was that moment for you? Or what was the thing where you're like, ah, I get it. You know, when Coach TJ broke down, you know, one of those processes. And by the way, when we say process, we don't just mean a philosophy. There's actual mechanics, actual technical things that need to be executed on a day-to-day -day basis. Could you kind of elaborate on kind of what was your first aha moment, but then also to some of the processes that people may not be aware of that goes into running a successful lift? Yeah, so... It's probably honestly my first lift that I had here at University of Maine. You know, we have like three or four interns with it. They kind of float around their class schedules and everything. So we don't have like a set schedule for, they're not always going to be in the weight room at any time. So like I kind of have to prepare in, in the situation if they're not going to be there. So I'm in there, I'm trying to get body weights of every, every football guy. And this is like, you know, the second or third time I'm meeting them. So I'm trying to get names down. I'm trying to set up the room. And it was just so much going on. And it was just like, it was overwhelming. And I'm like, wow, like I really got to readjust how I do these things. Like that was not an efficient process at all. Like I could have done so much better. I was unprepared. So like that first day was just like, okay, we're going to change things up. So a rack assignment, once I got to know everyone's names and kind of like weights where they're at, so we could be paired up with someone who's same height 
and close in the same weight so we don't have to switch things up so we're there we can maximize our time because we only have about an hour and 10 minutes for a lift before and you know we have to get them in and out for the next group to come in so made the change i had a rack assignment now i then first day i kind of was just reading off names i was like okay that took too long too so how can i make this process faster so i print out the rack assignment ahead of time i hang it up on the wall our guys come in they look at the rack see which rack they're at they go to the rack go to the ipad pull up their workout start setting up for the first exercise that way i have time you know to get the body weights in case an intern's not here and i'm not trying to you know panic and get stuff set up so just like little details like that that you notice each lift that you can improve on um, to make the lift go more efficient was kind of like the like my first aha moment that i caught on to as my first you know few weeks here yeah i think people don't understand when when trey talks about you know getting rack assignments if you have someone who's six eight and you have someone who's five ten and every time you have to change the j-hook height or you have to change the crash guard height or you have to change the weight one person squatting 400 one person squatting 500 you know it it just it's a nightmare and so you lose time because the goal of every coach i mean if we're up to us we'd live in the weight room all day um but because you know with college you have limited time and hours you really want to make sure the most amount of time is spent getting quality lift and quality stimulus People may not know that, you know, if a lift goes from four o'clock to five o'clock, you know, at Yale, we would budget five minutes, you know, with three minutes to do a complete change out. So you might have a volleyball team in and then it goes into football, then it goes into squash, complete change outs, but you only have three minutes. And if you haven't ever seen it, it looks like a bunch of little NASCAR people running around and, and, you know, that's great. And there's a lot of things we could do with that. But as you mentioned, you know what the time is, three minutes, you know what your goal is. You have to then go and iterate with whatever you have. And it sounds like right now, as you kind of build your program, you're already starting to take those steps in the right direction um, into becoming as efficient as possible. Yeah, like you said, we have that select time that we are able to work with our guys. So we want to make sure we utilize that time. We're not wasting time um, trying to set stuff up, making sure we get the, you know, if we're doing a trap bar day, getting the trap bars behind the racks, setting them up, putting the weights loaded on. Like all of that, if you have like a few things that you have to set up during a lift that adds up to like five, 10 minutes of wasted time that you could have been more efficient at. So, you know, we come in, we weigh in, they get their stuff set up. Then we go into our warm up, Then we go into our, you know, activation stations, Renee stations. So that way we can uh, hit some corrective exercises, get our guys feeling good, get a break. And by the time they get to the rack, their first exercise is already set up. So we just got to start warming up. So that just maximizes our potential to get that work in that, you know, 50 minutes that we have now, cause we take 10 minutes to warm up. So it's just, it's just that turnover too. So as soon as we finish a lift, I have them put it back and we finish lift with, you know, some kind of team, either core or competition right now, while they're doing that, the next group that's coming in is starting then to set up their racks and get everything ready. So that way there's no waste of time and turnover. Yeah. What do you think the biggest thing that you you took away from Yale that really kind of impacted your philosophy? And then, you know, how do you plan on applying that here now as you kind of go on your own at Maine? Yeah. So there's a few things. I'd say one is that attention to detail, you know, when taking pride in everything that you do in the weight room and the attention to detail just isn't like fixing plates. Like, yeah, that's attention to detail of fixing that, making sure we have that standard set. But attention to detail to the lift, like, okay, how could I have made that a little bit better? 
you got to kind of catch those little things that sometimes other coaches might not see in the room that you're like, okay, that, that was awful. And they're like, that, that was a minor little thing. But like, yeah, but we could have done it this much better. Could you and elaborate? Just, what do you mean by that on technique? Or are you talking for the coaches? What do you mean by that? It could be anything. It could be from a technique or, um, you know, even a safety thing. Like when we pull out the racks, um, I mean, pull out the benches for the warm up, And like, if it's in the way, like, Hey, we could have slid those in and waited them to slide out the benches for when they're going to bench after. So just catching either safety things, technique things, um, flow of the room when you program different lifts going on at a time, like, okay, we had a huge cluster of guys all trying to, you know, use the dumbbells at the same time. And we only have a limited number of, you know, 60, 70, 80 pounds, which is like what most guys are using right now. So it's like, okay, maybe I should switch the order exercise for this plan and the other plan. So that way these guys are squatting first or using barbells while these guys are using dumbbells. So that way the flow of the room's better and we're not wasting time there. So that attention to detail to those different plans is a huge thing to look at. How, how do you and, make sure though, you don't just, you know, kind of buckle to the efficiency. I mean, there's a big difference between dumbbells and then a big difference between barbells. And if you're just constantly switching out for flow and efficiency, but none of your guys get stronger, you don't get better. How do you, how do you manage that kind of double-edged sword there? Yeah. So they're still, both groups are still hitting their barbell exercises. It's just, so the plans we have going on right now, we have, you know, a weight gain plan and we have a strength plan. So when I was writing these plans, the, the weight gain plan is a little more of an aggressive style where we do, you know, a, a full body lift for most days. And then I was writing the strength plan and I was starting to do like a full body plan, but I was like, if we have guys squatting here and other guys trying to, um, sorry, I got text. We're trying to have guys squat here and then uh, they're moving the lunges over here and you know, they're on a time-based thing. They have to move to get their workout in that time. So I was able to, I looked at the plans and I split it up as an uppers lowers for the strength plan, just so the flow in the room was better. So that way we could have guys squatting here. And then by the time they're getting to their dumbbell exercises, the other guys can bench on the other racks because we only have six strength racks and we have six Olympic racks. So we don't even have a lot of strength racks to you know, we can't do everything at a rack. So I just get kind of creative with how I programmed the exercises. So they're still getting, you know, the stimulus and the benefit of the day, but that way it still flows at the same time. If you had a magic wand, how would you lay out your room? Uh, I would probably have, you know, 17 racks all with the cable columns built into the racks, you know, dumbbells, either, you know, the power block dumbbells or enough, dumbbells with a spread out in the room where the guys don't have to really ever leave their rack because that way we could you know have so many different plans going on if they never have to leave they could do everything right there but you know we don't live in that perfect world so we got to be able to adapt and uh make sure we get the goal of the lift done yeah i'm pretty sure that uh coach stevens is going to make sure no matter what uh, when you guys are never going to get bougie up there that's not his style so I know that, you know, obviously room room development, I know you guys have some facilities going in. So obviously you'll have that opportunity to kind of talk to people about that. And that will certainly impact your programming. And, and all those things you bring up, I think, are so important. You can have the absolute perfect program. But if it takes you three hours to get it done or four hours to move things around, I mean, think about it. If you're wasting 10 minutes, so five on the front, five on the back, every lift, in seven days, 
you've lost the whole lift. So you're dropping mm-hmm. now a lift. And if you have 100 guys on the team, that's 100 missed lifts. And so now if you start going into it and you start doing the math, you're like, oh, my God, I'm losing like months of training in someone's four-year career. And so that's when people don't – people really don't understand that compound effect of efficiency. And, again, yes, you have to get stronger. Yes, you have to do these things. Yes, you need competition. You need all those things. But at the end of the day, you have to show some sort of development. And I just – I don't know if facility layout is necessarily – uh, in every exercise science programs, you know, um, curriculum, but it's so important because you can have the greatest ideas in the world. And I know even, you know, this is, you know, you're kind of getting, getting yourself going It's your first time at it, but I could show you plans where you're like, oh, that's not going to work. No shot, no shot. That's not going to work. And you just know, and you start to see it. And I think if you're a young coach, kind of be open-minded, you know, certainty leads to ruin. So that's a famous, famous quote from the the scripture in the the temple of apollo from the delphi um oracle and and this goes back thousands of years and and that line of you know oh i know everything like you said you you go into orientation and you realize you know nothing well guess what you know you probably know even less now i mean i tell everyone all the time i know nothing we had dr kramer come visit i know you got a chance to talk to him he'll say we only know one percent of the human body's capability so when you start thinking about people you know when i've got it all figured out now be open-minded be a good coach have a great experience, but also realize that, that your ability to adapt and change to the situation is ultimately not only what's going to lead to the best training, but what's best for your athletes. Obviously, throughout your time at Yale, there's a lot of things that you you learned, and, and we always joke about growing pains versus growing funds. What was the biggest growing pain that you remember, and kind of how have you used that to you know help mold your current philosophy that you have today that you're building at Maine? Yeah, so toughest growing pain would probably be just going into the internship. Like I, I thought I knew a lot of things, you know, like I said earlier, coming out of grad school, got my master's degree. I took, you know, a pro like exercise science, a strength conditioning class. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so ahead of these other people in the industry. Got to the internship. And I was just like, wow. I, I really had to humble myself there from the beginning. And that kind of helped me just slow down, take a breath, and realize there's so much more to learn, so many more relationships to build, so many articles, research and stuff out there to read, to really get better and learn more because there's always something you can learn. There's always something you can do better. Um, You know, just working on perfecting your craft, but you will never perfect that craft at the end of the day. But what can you do to build that craft and make that stronger and better? Speaking of which, then what are you doing now to stay sharp? Because it's very easy to get, we would always say, get caught in the wash. So you don't have time to read. You don't have time to reach out. You don't have time to talk to your mentors. You don't have time to review your process. You don't have time. You don't have time. But you have to stay sharp. Otherwise, the blade will get dull. What are you doing to stay sharp? Yeah, so for me, I've kind of set out like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes whether I'm eating lunch. That's some time where, you know, I could read while I'm eating. So I use when I'm eating lunch, I'll use that time to read, you know, a research article or read some uh, a strength conditioning book or something to grow there. Um, I remember when I called you earlier in the year and you're like, what do you do when you drive home? You're like, I'm like, listen to music. You're like, that's 15, 20 minutes. You can call somebody. So when I drive home now, I call people. I listen to a podcast. Just you got to find those 15, 20 minute periods throughout a day where instead of just doing nothing, you use that time, you know, for self-improvement and self-growth. Yeah. And the more, you know, the more questions you get. And I love how you put that you have to be in 
you know, pursuit of perfecting that craft, but also at the same time knowing that you're never going to be satisfied because, as you mentioned, deep dive into physiology and you know epigenetics, deep dive into technique and Olympic Olympic lifting and powerlifting. Learn how to talk. I, I laugh. I think back to when I remember your internship. Just the chaos. And if you're a director and you don't do a chaos drill, which is simply just take any task, crank up the music, take a task, and change the rule. Throw a fire, throw a fire drill in the middle. Mah, mah, mah. Kick everybody out of the weight room. How do you handle it? Where do you go? And just if you add just even the slightest kink, especially to like a young coach, you can really see people go off the rails. Then they start yelling at each other. And so just the act of communicating under stress and duress, you need to practice that. And it's okay because everybody gets flustered, but then we have a good laugh about it. But most importantly, once you go forward facing to the coaches or the athletes, you do look you know, squared away in how you communicate with each other. And I think the athletes are probably the best indicator of whether or not they think your staff is united or your staff is a hot mess. Yeah, that communication you know, in those hectic moments is like so underrated. You can even prepare for it as much as you can do those practicing, but it still happens where like, we're in a lift. I'm watching a 400 pound back squat, you know, right now. And then I have a kid come up to me asking me a question about, you know, is it alternating curls or is it hammer curls? You know, like a minuscule question where it's like, and I'm like trying to keep my composure while watching the back squat. I'm trying not to yell at him. Like, hold on. Can we wait five seconds here while I watch this back squat? And then I can answer your question. So, you know, just those situations, like you can never prepare yourself enough for those. Yeah, I remember telling everybody for the first 20 minutes of every lift, nobody say anything to me because I got to make sure nobody dies. Power cleans, benches, deadlifts, any of, the, any of the heavy things, any of the heavy things. Nobody talk to me unless it's, you know, the building's on fire, you know, leave me alone. And so that's poor, you know, Coach TJ and Coach Bo, they would get punted the questions. But I think, you know, you're right, you know, because it's just the intensity. And if you haven't been under the pressure of making sure you watch someone's technique with those kind of high impact full body lifts, it's exhausting. And then to have someone tugging on your, your shirt saying, Hey, you know, what did you mean by that? Well, that's why we have videos in our team builder. I know, I know you uh, were able to get some team builder um, set up uh, at your, at your new place. And so I'm sure you'll be loading those videos, but it's just, those are the little details that until you get on the floor, you don't really see it. Yeah. hundred percent. And most of the time I'm like, did you watch the video? They're like, no. I'm like, we got the videos in there for a reason. Like this, this tool is very useful. So make sure we utilize it and you know check the video and then if you have a question then you can double check with me so yeah they're still adapting you know to having that team builder but they've gotten a lot better with it and it's a great tool you know track all your workouts and it makes programming a lot more efficient being able to run different programs at once not having to put it on excel sheet and print out multiple papers every day so i was very fortunate enough that we were able to make that happen here now, kind of in your current setup, how are you auditing? I know we had Coach Bo on earlier, and so he had talked a little bit about how he did it. And obviously, he learned from me, and I learned from Doc and Boyd. You know, for you, you know, you've had now a chance to even see it through Coach TJ's eyes. How are you choosing to audit your programs? And for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, go back, listen to Coach Bo Bartone's um, podcast that he did where we break down, yes, you had this intended goal of this program, but did it work? And so he really does a good job explaining how he did it. But how do you do it, Trey? Or what is your you know, evolution you hope to get out of that? Yeah, so I audit daily. So after you know every lift, when I have a little bit of time where I'm not 
trying to get something set up for tomorrow or make some phone calls now to administrators because that's a whole new role that I'm getting into now as being the head guy. You know, I'll try to get the auditing done that day while it's fresh. You know, I remember how they moved, how the set looked on that athlete. So that way I go through it every day. I'll update our maxes, you know, bump them if they need to be bumped, lower them if they need to be lowered. And I found that just being a lot more helpful than, you know, waiting to the end of the week because by the time I get to the end of the week, we've had, you know, two lifts a day, sometimes three, depending on schedules. So we've had maybe three lifts a day, four days a week, plus three days of running. I'm like, I'm not going to remember what he does on Monday. I can't remember his technique. Like, yeah, he hit all his reps. Were they good reps? Were they quality reps? Did he get the goal out of that lift that day? So I found it the most helpful just going through it. Like as soon as the last lift ends, if I have the time, I'll pull up Team Builder, run the workout results, and, you know, update the maxes off of that. That way it's all fresh in my head and I can make sure, you know, I'm auditing this for the right reasons and sticking to that goal of the lift and, you know, technique. How many reps in the tank? So just little things like that. That's what I found to be the best scenario for me here so far. Nice. As you look forward to the spring and you look forward to the summer, what are some of your exciting installs that you're hoping to bring to the program? Yeah, uh, so I've actually, one thing I'm really excited about is Rogue Echo Bikes. I've uh, been able to get a donor to donate 10 of them. So they're on back order right now, but we're going to get those ordered hopefully by the end of February and get those into March. So start incorporating uh, some of those into the either spring ball or into the summer. So that way we can, you know, make sure we get the guys conditioned, you know, with their buffering system so they can handle the workload you know, during games, it's going to be something new to them. So I'm excited to incorporate that, you know, in the, in the programming. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of our greatest, greatest advances in conditioning uh, in New Haven when we started discovering that. And obviously the research, as you mentioned, into the, the bicarbonate buffering system that Dr. Kramer had shown us, I don't even remember what summer it was, but we had that short season in 2019 uh, with a shortened preseason. And so the risk of not having individuals conditioned in time is tough, but you're obviously limited by, limited by how much you can run. And so on those bikes, A, there's no weight, so you're not going to hurt yourself. It's self-powered, so you don't have to plug them in and it's regulated to the individual. And then, you know, that that display that they give, you can really make sure that your power numbers are where they'd like to be and whether you're working on volume or whether you're working on uh, peak wattage, you're able to set your cutoffs and your auto regulation. So that's a pretty helpful tool. And I bet you they're on back order because Coach TJ took them all. So he, uh, <laughs> I know he was looking as well. But yeah, that's certainly a really good tool. And I, and I think that if coaches knew just how far out of shape individuals can fall, they might understand why we got so excited about that. Because with very little maintenance, that is a way to really make a difference um, just kind of on the internal chemistry of the athletes um, that has, you know, impact across multiple domains. Yeah, they're, they're a huge tool and uh, I'm really excited to, you know, get these guys on them. Uh, they haven't ever used them or been exposed to them. So it's definitely going to be uh, interesting uh, when we start implementing these, you know, some guys are going to love them and some guys are going to, going to dread them. But the once like, you know, you explain the reasoning of why we do these things and you put it in their perspective. So they understand why, that helps them buy into what you're doing then as well, rather than saying, we're just doing this to get in shape. No, we're doing this because, you know, in the fourth quarter, when your legs start getting heavy, these bikes are going to help that. So in the fourth quarter, when teams are tired, they're bending over hands on hips. We're here. We're feeling great. We're able to really punish teams in the fourth quarter then. 
Yeah, and I think it's so important because especially in football, it can kind of get carried away where let's do this because this is tough. There was an article that was just posted. I'm not sure where. I don't know if it was Sports Illustrated or ESPN, but talked about the old football mentality was, you know, take a dozen eggs, throw the eggs against the wall, and, you know, whichever egg didn't crack, that's the tough egg, and that's the one we're proud of. Well, that doesn't really work when, you know, you, you have a fixed amount of people and you have them for four years. And so it's really about how do I make those eggs as resilient as you can. And everyone is metabolically different. But I think that, as you pointed out, when the athletes see the difference, so as you get deeper into the protocol, as you start getting into, you know, some of the advanced conditioning stuff, it gives them confidence. And anybody who gets into training, you know, they do that to get the physical confidence to then play the mental game um, on the field. And, and they should see it. And I think any program that you do, your athletes should get buy-in because the kids who do it are better than the ones who do not. And so that's a good litmus test. So certainly I know you'll get them in the right perspective, but to any coach listening, it's just so important not to do things just because it's tough or it hurts. I can punch you in the face. That hurts. That does not make you a better football player. So, um, you know, using that, and certainly that was a tool um, that we found to be super beneficial. And I remember one, one of the athletes um, in 2019 telling me, if you can do the bikes, there is nothing in football that can simulate the entire body exhaustion that you feel the game of football is actually more fun coach and so i thought about it, I was like wow he literally look he doesn't like it nobody likes it but on the back end he gets to enjoy the game that he loves the most with his friends and and the guys that you know he'll have relationships with for the rest of his life he gets to enjoy the game he loves more yeah that's pretty cool that he made that connection so i think you're spot on with that what else what are some other things too that you're looking at especially as you go into the summer does it still snow in the summer that's the rumor Either that or Coach Stevens is going to bring in snow. I heard he might just start dumping snow on the field no matter what. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't snow in the summer. Everyone says it's, you know, beautiful here in the summer. But I'll decide that once, you know, all the snow melts and it starts getting above zero again. So, um, but other things I'm excited for is just uh, a lot of the guys here stay for the summer. So I'm excited just to have the opportunity to be around the team more. You know, I'm only a month into this. So just the more guys we have staying in the summer, better I'm going to get to understand each individual and find kind of what works best for them. Because, you know, every athlete's different. Every athlete's going to respond to a different stimulus. And me building that relationship with these guys and getting them to, you know, buy into my philosophy and what, you know, we want to accomplish here as a team, just getting to spend that quality time with them. Because in the summer, they won't be doing position work with coaches. They won't have, you know, all the meetings with coaches. It's going to be, they're going to be spending all their time with me and then they're going to be working and, you know, maybe summer classes or stuff like that. So I'm just excited to have the opportunity to continue to build those relationships, you know, with them and, and see them grow from where we started at in, you know, January to where we get to at the end of summer, getting ready to go into the season. Well, that's awesome. Well, coach, any other kind of final words for, you know, maybe that the young, young student or young coach that's getting started and kind of, again, they're excited, they're motivated, but they don't know where to start. You have any kind of uh, parting words for them? Again, I think of you as probably one of the fastest fast track individuals from intern to head position, um, which I'm sure is a blessing and a curse in the sense that it's just a massive amount of information and increase, as you had mentioned, to the administrative duties that go along with it as well. What would you tell kind of the next generation as you pay it forward to think about? Well, you know, it, it's a grind. It is a grind and you really have to love it because if you don't love it, you're going to get burnt out so quick because I'm up at 3.30. I'm in, you know, by 4.30 
every day. And I'm not getting home sometimes till 11 p.m. just because there's so much stuff to be done right now. And, you know, that's in the building stages of things right now. But if I didn't love what I did, there's no way I would want to go through that every day, every day over, day over, day over. So you really got to make sure it's your passion and you enjoy doing that. So you avoid getting burnt out. And then the other thing is with the experience, like internships, like you're not too good to do an internship. There's always something you can learn from that experience. So like I came out of grad school, I did an internship. Well, I also did an internship in undergrad to GA in grad school. Then I did another internship. So I did three internships before I even saw a dollar of money for strength conditioning. So you just really have to, you got to get yourself out there, meet these connections, build relationships and, and grind in this industry. And even as when I came on to Yale, as you know, the assistant um, there, we had two interns for the, um, for the fall. I was in there making puppy chow every day for our players as well. Like you're never too big to do something. If it has to get done at the end of the day, it has to get done. And if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. So we just got to, you got to make sure you get those little things done, those little tasks done. Even if you're like, Oh, I'm the head guy. I shouldn't have to do that. If it has to get done and nobody's doing it, you got to step up and just do it no matter what. Um, so those are just kind of two, two little things right there that I'd probably recommend. Coach, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have another one of our alumni, um, you know, kind of lead lead the way and kind of, again, be at the tip of the spear of the industry. So obviously everybody from uh, the, the Yale network and the alumni network uh, of the program of the internship is supporting you. Um, but for individuals who maybe weren't part of that group or don't really know how to get a hold of you, what is the best way to, you know, kind of uh, reach out if someone has questions? What's your best contact info? Yeah, you can uh, either email me at uh, trey.hall at main.edu. Um, you can email me there and then I could always give you, you know, my cell phone number through the email and that way we can uh, get in touch, you know, either via email or set up a call or even then go Zoom. You know, I'm always looking to, out to, you know, meet new people and meet new connections. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt to meet anybody new. Awesome. Well, coach, thank you so much. Uh, again, very proud of you. So excited to see about what you do. Uh, see you guys go out and dominate there this, uh, this coming fall and for many seasons to come. So thank you so much. Stay warm and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks coach. Thanks for having me on.